It's a great honor for me to be here at the Empire Club of Canada today, which is arguably the most famous and historically relevant speakers podium to have ever existed in Canada. It has offered its podium to such international luminaries as Winston Churchill, Ronald Reagan, Audrey Hepburn, the Dalai Lama, Indira Gandhi, and closer to home, from Pierre Trudeau to Justin Trudeau. Literally generations of our great nation's leaders, alongside with those of the world's top international diplomats, heads of state, and business and thought leaders. It is a real honor and a distinct privilege to be invited to speak to the Empire Club of Canada, which has been welcoming international diplomats, leaders in business and in science and in politics when they stand at that podium. They speak not only to the entire country, but they can speak to the entire world. Good afternoon, fellow directors, past presidents, members, and guests. Welcome to the 118th season of the Empire Club of Canada. My name is Kelly Jackson. I'm the president of the board of directors of the Empire Club of Canada and vice president external affairs and professional learning at Humber College. I also am your host for today's event in celebration of International Women's Day. I'd like to begin this afternoon with an acknowledgement. I am hosting this event within the traditional and treaty lands of the Mississaugas of the Credit and the homelands of the Anishinaabe, the Haudenosaunee, and the Wyandot peoples. In acknowledging traditional territories, I do so from a place of understanding the privilege my ancestors and I have had in this country since they first arrived here in the 1830s. As farmers in Southwestern Ontario, I imagine they felt a deep connection to the land and yet likely did not recognize how that connection was built on the displacement of others. Delivering a land acknowledgement for me is always an important opportunity to reflect on our human connection and responsibility to care for the land and to recognize that to do so, we must always respect each other and acknowledge our histories. We encourage everyone tuning in today to learn more about the traditional territory on which you work and live. The Empire Club of Canada is a nonprofit organization. So I now wanna take a moment to recognize our sponsors who generously support the club and make these events possible and complimentary for our supporters to attend. Thank you to our lead event sponsors, Shearman and Sterling LLP and TD Securities. Thank you to today's supporting sponsors, JP Morgan Chase, Level 5 Strategy, and RBC Capital Markets. Thank you, of course, as well to our season sponsors, the Canadian Bankers Association, Leuna, Waste Connections of Canada, and Bruce Power. Before we get started, just wanted to share a few housekeeping notes. I'd like to remind everybody who is participating today that this is an interactive event. And so those attending live I encourage you to engage by taking advantage of the question box you can find below your on-screen video player. We have reserved time for audience questions at the end of the discussion. We also invite you to share your thoughts on social media using the hashtags displayed on the screen throughout the event. If you require technical assistance, please start a conversation with our team using the chat button 
on the right-hand side of your screen. To those watching On Demand later, and to those tuning in on the podcast, welcome. It is now my pleasure to call this virtual meeting to order. I am honored to welcome our guests today, Laurieann Beausoleil, Sarah Jordan, Vanessa Canute, and Rita Tritcher to the Empire Club of Canada's virtual stage. You will hear more about them shortly, and you can find their full bios on the page below the video player on your screen. Before we, before we get to hear from the panel, I would like to invite Doreen Lilienfeld, partner, Shearman and Sterling LLP, to deliver some opening remarks. Doreen, welcome and over to you. Thank you, Kelly, and welcome everyone. We're so glad that you've joined us today for the Empire Club of Canada's celebration of International Women's Day. I'm Doreen Lilienfeld, as Kelly explained. I'm the Global Compensation Governance and Advisory Practice Group Leader at Sherman and Sterling, and it's my honor to welcome this esteemed panel today. We are joined by several women who were the driving forces behind some of the most transformative moves in Canadian business and finance in 2021, including Laurieann Beausoleil, retired deals and advisory partner from PricewaterhouseCoopers, Sarah Jordan, the chief executive officer of Mastermind Toys, and Vanessa Canu, the chief financial officer of TELUS International. Along with our moderator today, Rita Tritcher, the senior business writer and columnist at the Globe and Mail. Thank you all for participating today. Um, their accomplishments are just too legion for me to mention in the time allowed, but as Kelly mentioned, their biographical information is located below the video player in your virtual event platform. We at Sherman and Sterling are so pleased today to be part of this event. In this past year, we had the privilege of advising TELUS International on its transformational IPO and US listing. Sherman and Sterling remains dedicated to celebrating women's achievements in the business world. Today, we have the opportunity to hear directly from the women behind the biggest tech IPO in TSX history, the acquisition of one of Canada's most innovative exchanges, and the strategic transformation of Canada's largest specialty toy and bookstore. So without any further ado, I'd like to welcome Rita, Laurieann, Sarah, and Vanessa. And now over to you, Rita, to get us started. Thank you, Doreen. Good afternoon, everyone. As you heard, I'm Rita Tritcher. I am a senior business writer and columnist with The Globe and Mail. I am very pleased to be your moderator for today's important discussion. We have a great panel uh, for you today, and we're going to jump right into questions because there's a lot of ground to cover. So for each of the panelists, I want you all uh, to kind of dive into this one. Um, each of you are leaders in male-dominated industries. Tell us what it was like for you at the outset of your career. You know, what was it like for you back then and what was it like for women? Let's go in this order, uh, Vanessa, Sarah, and then Lorianne. Well, thank you, Rita. Um, that's a great question. So when I first joined the workforce uh, immediately after I graduated, there were a lot of women. Um, there were a lot. I don't remember what the precise ratio was at the time, but there were a lot of women in my entrance year uh, as an articling student at PricewaterhouseCoopers uh, in Edmonton, Alberta, uh, no less. Um, we may not have been perfectly balanced, but we probably would have been close. Um, so I would say, you know, Rita, going in, it was a fairly comfortable environment, but 
Over the years, the leakage became obvious and the women started to disappear, uh, especially as the positions got higher and higher. Um, and uh, the firm in those days offered flexibility, uh, flexible work schedules and the like. Um, and it was often women uh, who took those flexible work schedules to balance work and, uh, and home life. And as supportive as the firm was, uh, even back then, it was rare to see a partner uh, take on flexible work schedule. And so while we all applauded uh, the optionality of, uh, of, um, that the firm offered all of us back then uh, in the late 90s, uh, most of the women that I knew uh, knew or at least perceived that it would affect their career progression. Um, and so it was a bit of a stigma, uh, you know, even back then as I was sort of, you know, starting out my career. And I think that's, that phenomenon probably continues to this day. Sarah? I started my career in strategy consulting. And when I did that, there was no female partners in Canada. One of the things that I remember when I started in consulting was the great opportunity to be exposed to a whole host of industries and a whole different type of work. And what I also got exposed to was a whole host of different leaders. And so for me, what I remember about my early days in my career was a feedback rich environment where there were few women, but what was really focused on was what were your strengths and what your areas for development were. And what I took away from the early days of my career, not only about what my strengths were so that I could play to my passions later in my career, I also learned that there was two types of leaders I would work for. Leaders that believed in me or leaders who would ask me to prove myself. And that was a lifelong lesson that I took through my career. And as you can appreciate, most of those leaders were male. And the ones who believed in me believed in how I led, how I showed up, what I looked like, what I could contribute. And those who asked me to prove myself put barriers, didn't allow the flexibility, didn't sponsor and mentor women. And so for me, it was a, a real opportunity to learn what great leadership looks like, which served me well as I transformed Mastermind Toys. Lorraine. Thank you. And happy International Day, everybody. Well, clearly they left the oldest to the last. So my beginnings was very different in 1986 when I entered the doors of a professional accounting firm, which was Coopers and Libran at the time. 75 new recruits started that year. Unfortunately, that was before computers. So there was a lot of manual labor at the time and only five women. And I can assure you diversity wasn't even a topic at the time uh, because there was no diversity. So what can I say about my career, my journey, is I showed up every day as the genuine and authentic Lori. Yes, I was in that time and era where women did not wear pantsuits. I wore pantsuits. I walked into the boardrooms of all my clients with a smile on my face. And I did the best job I could. And at some point in time, I think I tried to even be better than I possibly could and surrounded myself with a remarkable team. I have so many firsts at PwC. Um, I, you know, I could go on and on and on. But imagine as a partner, first female partner to go on maternity leave. I could fill up the whole hour on that uh, wonderful experience and journey. But once again, so how did I survive in that environment, male dominated and not a lot of diversity. Simply once again, doing the best I could, but always had wonderful mentorship and coaching. So part of my success at PwC was I was blessed with some great male partners who took me under their wing and stood me up for success. And today on International Women's Day, that's what we have to do for this next generation of women. Let's stand them up, pull them up, and push them up. 
So we don't have to talk about the glass ceiling or any of the other things that were obstacles during my career. I knew we were gonna get a lot of real talk on this panel and I'm sure the audience really appreciates your candor. So this is, this is fantastic. I wanna uh, talk a little bit about each of your um, own individual leadership styles. You know, did you emulate your male colleagues um, or did you carve your own path? Did you feel pressure to check your emotions at the door? Lorraine, why don't we start with you on this one? Sure. So for me, I have to say my leadership style evolved. <laughs> I have to say at the very beginning, I probably didn't have the confidence that I have today. Um, it's hard when you're the only one. Um, so, you know, you always feel like you have to be exceptional and try and prove yourself. But what I will tell you, as I finished the last part of my career, my style was very much inclusive. And I actually work side by side with the team. They said partners usually don't work side by side, but I can't ask somebody to do something that I won't do. So I think my style really became a leader by example. If we say work hard, I'm working hard. I'm in the trenches along with the team. But also the most important thing that I do and continue to do even post PwC is coaching and mentorship. I wouldn't be on this panel if I didn't have mentors and coaches. And my leadership style is very focused on helping that next generation up and through the door. Because I can only get them to the door, but that mentorship and coaching can get them through the door. So I'd say that's how my leadership style had evolved. I must say at the beginning, I did somewhat um, perhaps follow some of the male styles because I was known as a bull in a china shop. I'm like, how could I be a bull in a china shop? But that's what they said. And I think I was very aggressive because I wanted to make sure I continue to have a seat at the table. I didn't want to be at the, you know, the children's table. I wanted to be at the big boys table. So I think at the beginning, my style was very aggressive. And that's what, and as I learned and got more confident in Lori, I see that I became more of the genuine Lori and wanted to create a team um, of uh, diverse team members, but more importantly, really focused on that next generation, which was later on in my career. That's great. Authenticity is so important when it comes to leadership. Uh, Sarah, what about you? What is, what's your individual leadership style? Three words, Rita, bold, passionate, and authentic. Like Lori, I think I had to find my way through my career, but one of the real defining moments for me was leading Mastermind Toys through the pandemic. I can tell you one of the great things that came out of the pandemic, and I recognize it's a humanitarian crisis, is that while Canadians reinvented the way they work, live, learn, and play, leadership was also being invented, reinvented. We've often seen leaders get asked to check their emotions at the door and not to lead with, with that empathy. And I can tell you, I had the ultimate privilege of leading an organization through a pandemic when there was no playbook. And I remember the heaviness of the situation two years ago, closing our doors before the government mandate because we serve kids, grandparents, parents, and those are our employees too. And I remember when we closed our doors, what I led with was courage and strength, empathy and compassion, traits that through my career weren't always asked to be shown up. And I think the great thing about the pandemic and seeing the diverse leadership style emerge is that people are looking for a leader to lead them through the pandemic, not to manage them. And I think there's a real moment now for authentic leaders. For women specifically, we're often asked not to show our emotion. But it leads to innovation, it leads to business results, and it leads to better teams. 
So my, my leadership style, bold, passionate, authentic, is living in full color today. And I really try to show that to my team to bring their true selves to work. And like Lori, it's been an evolution for me. And there's been days when I've been muted. But what I've learned is that I'm at my best when I'm myself. And I try to create a diverse team around me and conditions around me so that others can bring their best selves to work. That's wonderful. Vanessa. So like my two great colleagues here, it definitely took me a while to get comfortable in my, uh, in my own skin. Um, I've always been confident. I was lucky enough to be raised by parents who always encouraged me to speak my mind. So shyness uh, was never an issue for me per se, but it took me a really long time, I would say, to get comfortable in my skin as a leader. Um, and uh, like, uh, like Laurie just articulated, um, you know, in those days, um, the traditional leadership style was very much command and control. So even the women, as few as they were, exhibited a bit of a command and control style, probably because that's, all, you know, that's what we all saw uh, around us. Um, but that style was never really me. So I was always opinionated, as I said, but command and control was never really my style. So I never quite felt comfortable with that style of leadership. And then I was fortunate enough to work with a female CEO who came to the table with a very collaborative style. And it was like, wow, I can show up to the table like she does and not worry about being judged about being too soft. Um, and, and so now, fast forward many years later, today, I have the privilege to work with a male CEO who I would describe uh, as an empathetic leader and, and very much leads with a people first uh, mentality at, at TELUS International. Um, and as, uh, as uh, Sarah alluded to, the research uh, you know, these days actually shows that empathy is one of the key traits of successful leaders. So I've learned from all of this um, and I'm now much more comfortable just being who I am as a leader myself. Uh, but it just goes to show how representation matters, right? From, from the old um, command and control, you know, style of leadership to now being able to show up as who you are, you know, being able to and comfortable to show your empathetic side uh, and your caring side and actually having data to support that, that actually leads to positive outcomes for organizations. I think you all have just helped so many women um, by being so honest about the fact that you had to grow comfortable as leaders and, you know, and be and learn how to be authentic and kind of push back against the notions of what uh, a good leader is. And, you know, in terms of, you know, checking your emotions at the door, this is this is great. Empathy is so important. We've learned that throughout the pandemic. I want to hear a little bit more about the defining moments in your career with respect to M&A, transformations, IPOs. Um, all this wonderful capital markets activity. What did you learn from these experiences? And Vanessa, I want to start with you. Thanks, Rita. So I, I had the privilege last year uh, of helping to lead the largest technology IPO in TSX history. Uh, we certainly did not set out uh, to accomplish that, but um, uh, you know we're super proud of, uh, of what we're able to do together as a team. So I was new to the organization. I'd only been with the company for a few months um, and had to rapidly learn the business and build a financial model that we could you know, speak credibly about to the investment community. Uh, and it was during the pandemic. It was actually kind of at the height of the pandemic that we were doing all of this. I had not even met any of my colleagues in person at that time, frankly, not even my own team uh, in person at that time. Um, but it was truly phenomenal. The team was you know, really, really great and we got it done. But I learned a lot of things. I learned resilience. Um, I learned to trust my instinct. When something didn't make sense, I, I followed my gut and I dug into it. Uh, I learned to see things from the investor's perspective, not just management's perspective. 
Um, and, you know, it's quite interesting, you know, many of the things that, you know, I myself initially wanted to seek clarity about um, turned out to be the very things that investors and analysts also wanted to understand deeper, uh, which goes to show, you know, follow your instincts. Don't dismiss the probing questions in your head. Lean into them. Go deeper for the answers. And, uh, and by so doing, you often end up with a better work, uh, work product uh, out of it. So very challenging times. Um, but as they always say, out of challenges come the most uh, rewarding experiences. And certainly, uh, I'm privileged enough to say that that was, you know, uh, my case as well. Sarah. Thanks, Rita. My specialty is in customer brand and digital transformation. And so I joined Mastermind Toys, which is the nation's largest specialty toy and book retailer that's private equity owned, Canadian owned and operated in January of 2020. What I can tell you about the transformation over the last two years is that while it is exceptional to have expertise coming in, what you need is the best team around you and the cultural transformation is key. I have been so inspired during the pandemic as the Mastermind Toys team have reinvented our business. We shut down our stores with no lifeline, no contactless curbside, a website that was severely lagging the industry. At the time, 25% of toys were purchased online. Ours was less than 2%. And while it's great to have a digital transformation or customer experience or a phenomenal brand that you can talk to, and we're a purpose-driven organization, we deeply believe the play as kids work, what was really necessary to come out of the pandemic stronger was our people. And so I had the ultimate privilege of leading a cultural transformation where I asked the Mastermind Toys team from our head office, which is affectionately known as Play HQ, to our warehouse, to our stores, to join me to come out of the pandemic stronger by co-creating, by sharing insights, by being toy trend spotters coast to coast. And it has been unbelievable to see people show up to Mastermind Toys every day while they're caring for their kids, caring for their elderly parents, reinventing their lives through the pandemic. I have to tell you, being, being a CEO was also like being the chief communications officer, trying to inspire people through hybrid working, trying to inspire people as our stores were closed for 18 months straight over a 24 month period, including every major holiday, inclusive of my first holiday as the CEO of a toy store. But what I learned in this transformation was to be an authentic leader to lead people through by asking them to show up every day as their best selves, but also to asking them for innovation and for ideas. During one of our town halls, coast to coast, I ended up reading a story called Rosie Revere Engineer, which is my favorite children's book. And the reason why I read this book was because it inspired people to fail and to fail fast, but to come together as a team. So I've learned that even in private equity and intense moments um, in capital markets where results matter speed matters. What I've learned is that people make the difference. And during the pandemic, I've learned that leadership matters. You need to build the best team around you, but you need to inspire them because they will over deliver when they believe in the purpose. And so for Mastermind, we went back to our roots from 1984 to really be not a toy store, but to be an organization that believes in inspiring generations of lifelong learners through the power of play. Sarah, your energy is infectious. This is wonderful. Lorianne, <laughs> what would you say is your defining moment or one of your de defining moments in your career? And what did you learn from that experience? So what I've learned is the word innovation. And what I didn't realize is innovative creativity is actually an attribute in capital markets, deals and transactions that was going to be part of this, this success, if I can use that language. So 
I'm going to just talk about NEO for a moment and, the, and this amazing transaction that hopefully will be approved shortly by the Securities Commission. No cheerleading or advocacy on my behalf, um, but it is amazing. Why Lori Beausoleil and why NEO? I went on there because I am attracted to organizations that celebrate innovation. And so going on the board and being part of this amazing transaction is bringing an alternative to the capital market community on an, on an exchange that is based on innovation. We're taking the chances on some of those higher risk, I'm gonna call it segments. So the success for me was my natural curiosity and interest in innovation. I can actually play a role as part of the board of NEO as we guide and govern over this particular transaction. So I would say for me, the, the key ingredient that I did not appreciate perhaps during all of my career was the criticality of innovation. And now I'm part of NEO Exchange that is celebrating innovation. And also what I'm gonna say leadership. The other thing is we talked about our leadership style, but we didn't talk about being a leader. So I think the other part in the capital markets and in the deals and M&A space is you wanna be the leader, you wanna be first. So to be able to be first, You've got to have something that's different. And generally, guess what we come back to? Something that's innovative, something that is going to give a different experience, a different return on the investment. So for me, I would say my aha moment was appreciating the attributes that lead to success in M&A, capital markets and deals, which is innovation, confidence and leader. Be the first. Don't follow. Okay, that's that's fantastic. Okay, the pandemic has shone a very unflattering light on you know, systemic inequities in our society, uh, inequities that women face, that Black, Indigenous, and people of color face. You know, we've come somewhat of a distance, I would say, but is this really the moment of change for women and other diverse candidates? Um, what do you still see as the barriers um, that, these various groups face in the workplace. And Sarah, I want you to go first on this one. Happy to, Rita. And as Lori said, happy International Women's Day. The theme for this year, 2022, is break the bias. And so for me, Rita, I'd love to share what I've learned. The, the moment has to be now for change. And I think the pandemic has showcased that diverse leadership, diverse teams are necessary for some of the words that Lori and Vanessa just mentioned innovation, impact, value, but also empathy and creating purpose-driven economies and leaders. So I'd like to talk about a few biases that I face that I would encourage the audience to think about. Do you bring these to work with you? I often don't talk about being a working parent and you'll notice the words that I used. I didn't say working mom, I said working parent because the first bias that I wanna talk about is the assumption that your career ambitions evaporate when you become a parent. For me, my world exploded into Technicolor with the arrival of my children, but I did not lose my ambition for a fulfilling career. And I think one thing that we need to have a bias or break the bias on is making assumptions about what women or working parents want as they navigate the different uh, phases of their life. The second piece I'll talk about is, is being a working parent. I am a better leader because I am a working parent. Nothing has taught me more patience and letting go of things that I can't control, all great attributes in capital markets, like my children. And I think it's really important that we recognize working parents and especially working moms are amazing leaders that bring empathy. And as Vanessa said, the research is there. 
the research is there that empathy and empathetic leaders drive better results and build better teams. And then finally, the bias that I think we all need to, to make sure that we're, we're tackling is that strong leaders don't show emotion. We should be inviting them to share emotion and to be themselves and to be human. And to, to Lori's point, to be leaders. If we want to have innovative companies, we need leaders who are willing to lead authentically. And so the, the biases around being a working parent, around losing your career ambition, on not being a great leader need to be busted. And we need to do it in an environment where we're reinventing the way we work. Hybrid work will allow us to see leaders for who they really are, which is human. And hopefully this flexibility and, and the requirements to show up differently at work will allow us to bust some of those myths. Amen to all of that. It took everything in me you now to start cheering after every word that you just spoke. Vanessa, you're next. <laughs> I think I'm still saying amen. Um, but Sarah, I think you just spoke for all of us. Um, but honestly, to, to answer your question there, Rita, I mean, the pandemic has without a doubt hit uh, women um, in certain communities uh, much, much more severely. Um, I do think it's a moment of change. I mean, so much has happened in the last couple of years, you know, from Me Too, uh, the Me Too movement to George Floyd, uh, and sadly many others, uh, including here in Canada. Um, the fact that these inequalities have gone on for so long, I think people have generally just had enough. And on the gender front, uh, you know, I just could not agree more, or really frankly add a lot more to what Sarah just articulated. Uh, I think, you know, uh, the fact that the, the gender agenda has been on corporate agendas for so long, but still we've made such little progress um, is, uh, is um, you know, mind boggling. I mean, I, I was reading some statistics the other day where we've got, you know, in the United States, only 41 out of the U.S. Fortune 500 companies have a female CEO. It's even worse in Canada. Um, you know, so we've got a long, long way to go. So I, I, think, I think all of this has come together where people are demanding change. Um, investors are demanding change. Investors are looking at board diversity, uh, management teams diversity. They're asking the questions. They're not, they, they don't want taglines anymore. They want to see the numbers, right? So uh, I really do think that we are at that inflection point where, um, um, you know, uh, society uh, generally has had enough and they want to see progress on this front. But we have a lot to do to get there. Um, we need to create the conditions to get there. And it starts with everything from how we recruit, how we get more balance in our, in our recruiting pipeline, um, to how we support women in the workplace, childcare, um, you know, mentorship programs, all the things that we need to do to make women in the workplace um, you know, really do feel valued to continue their careers and continue to rise as they, as they may choose to do so uh, based on their own individual aspirations. Okay, Lorianne, over to you. Is this the moment of change? Is this gonna be the time for women? This is the moment for change. And the reason why, because everybody is now listening. But we do have a challenge, is a lot of us haven't educated corporate Canada on what it takes to be diverse. And I'm going to say both gender and race. Because you see, there are cultural barriers that corporate Canada may not be aware of that we grow up with in certain communities. There are certain communities where the woman is not given an education, or if they do have an education, their expectations are different. And so they need a different type of support in that workforce in order for them to blossom and succeed. So we're at this really crazy opportunity for change, but there's so much learning to ensure that we actually take this change and make it successful. 
So we have gender challenges that are coming from culture and family beliefs, despite that what's happening in corporate Canada and how do we encourage and support those young women who are gonna be the first in their family to get an education and to what they, I'm gonna say, blow up the concrete ceiling. Then you've got diversity. So how do you ensure your teams have diversity, not just gender, but with race and ethnicity? And you say, but here's another challenge is for those individuals that are out there today listening to this, you also have to raise your hand. Because you see, the job is not gonna come to you necessarily. Sometimes you have to raise your hand and say, please, I am interested. I may not have all the skills, but I am here to give you 150% so that I can be successful in whatever that success definition looks like. And that's individual as well. Because the other thing that we have to be careful with data and statistics is there are individuals that are part of that data. And not all individuals are the same, hence the Webster Dictionary definition of an individual. So let's celebrate change. Let's keep our eyes and ears open and let's support the diversity journey because it's a journey and we're not quite there yet. <laughs> Absolutely, okay. So for people in the audience, I just wanna remind you that you can submit your questions in the box below uh, your viewer. Please do that because we're gonna get your questions in about seven minutes time. I wanna make sure we have time for, for audience questions. Okay, so we've talked a bit about what the problem is in terms of what barriers remain for uh, women and diverse candidates in the, in the workplace. But let's start to talk about solutions because I can tell all three of you are solution-minded. Uh, Vanessa, starting with you, what are some of the practical steps that companies can take to actually create diverse and inclusive workplaces? I think it kind of goes back to some of the points um, we, we just mentioned. Um, and um, you know, it, it, there's a lot of things. Um, and it, for me, it starts with even recruiting and, and, and going back to my earlier points about recruiting in a, in a more balanced fashion. And for corporations to expand the scope of where they recruit from and what profile of candidates they're recruiting from. If we each only recruit from our, our narrow networks, well, we're probably not going to get a lot of diver diversity. Um, and so expanding that pool, uh, even from a recruiting perspective, opening our minds about the, the talent base that is out there, um, I think, you know, is, is a critical first step. Uh, but once women or other diverse uh, team members join the organization, then what? Because uh, what we don't want to do is have them join the organization and start to attrit because they still feel like they don't belong, right? So that's why, you know, it's, it's not only diversity, it's also inclusiveness to make sure that once you actually do get uh, the, the more diverse um, uh, team member base, you're able to uh, retain them and really truly benefit from all of the, um, uh, you know, the, all of the, the benefits that we all know that, uh, you know, diversity has to offer. So how do we support them in the workplace? How do we ensure the workplace is a safe environment for young women, other ethnic minorities, where they feel supported, where they feel they can grow, where they feel they've got career, their career aspirations are supported. All of those things I think will help to ensure that um, this pipeline issue not only gets solved at the recruiting stage, but also as, as you know, uh, uh, people progress up um, the career ladder. But also, I think it goes also back to, we started to talk a little bit about childcare and unfortunately uh, as it is, today, um, the vast majority of uh, home responsibilities still sit with women. 
So ensuring that, you know, our women at work feel supported uh, in terms of managing, you know, what happens at work, but also giving them the flexibility to manage what happens at home as well, because a lot of the times they are wearing the hat um, as it pertains to that. So perhaps I'll pause there and let uh, uh, my colleagues jump in. I, I think I'm just so passionate about this topic. There's so much organizations can be doing, uh, but from my perspective, it starts from recruiting to once the team members are in place, and, and career progression and supporting them overall uh, for their you know end-to-end -end life responsibilities. Sarah, what about you? I mean, what what are your thoughts on strategies? You know, everything from recruitment succession planning. Uh, also curious on your take on whether we should be uh, having targets that are voluntary or quotas. Thanks, Rita. And I agree with everything Vanessa shared. What I will say is when I joined Mastermind Toys, the C-suite and the leadership team was 100% male. And I took it as my responsibility and will do so for the rest of my career to change that. And, and we did not have quotas, Rita, but within the first 90 days of being CEO of Mastermind Toys, 65%, we went from zero to 65% of the leadership team is female. I recognize that's one form of diversity, but with PL responsibility as well. And it's not because there was a quota, it's because they were the right person for the job. I'll share with what Vanessa said, you have to expand your horizon and where you're finding the talent from. You have to be specific about what you're looking for, but you have to cast the net wide and you can't just look into your own networks. But I believe that it has to be tone from the top. It was my mission and my mandate to have a diverse leadership team. And, the, and as I said, there was no quota, but it is the right candidates for the job. I would also say that Vanessa spoke a lot about what the government could do or what for corporations could do, but I'd like to just share a little bit about what I think you can do. So I'd love if you have a piece of paper in front of you, I want you to write down the, the number three, three times. Today, I want you to reach out to three women who have made a difference. I want you to send a note to their boss or their board on their behalf highlighting who they are and what they bring to the table. So that's the thing I want you to do today. This week, I want you to invite three women or diverse, la diverse leaders to the table. I want you to pull up a chair, either virtually or physically, so that they have an opportunity to present their own work, to comment, to bring innovation to the table. Okay, so we've got a theme here. Today, this week, now this month, here's the last three. I want you to promote three women or diverse leaders. I want you to advocate for them. It is no longer enough to be a mentor. You must be a sponsor. And for the next year, for the next 12 months, I want you to do those three things. Today, three notes sent for high potential women. This week, three women brought to the table. This month, three women promoted or advocated for. And hopefully, Rita, that will change what our organizations look like because we need to take action on this. We have waited too long for quotas or investors or mission statements to include this. This requires all of us to play a role. Corporate Canada, you have your marching orders. Lorianne, <laughs> I want you to jump in now to talk about solutions. Absolutely. Raw, raw, by the way. <laughs> Come up with three solutions to keep with the theme of three. Everything that was just said will only work if we change our culture to be inclusive. Because in order for those three, three and three to work, my organization has to want that to work. I don't like tokenism because I don't believe that is sustainable. So solution number one, 
let's look long and hard about our culture. Is it genuinely open? And if not, how are we going to change it to be an open and inclusive culture? That's solution number one. Solution number two is you have to provide an environment to allow diversity to succeed. And you say, well, wait a minute, Lori. Well, how is that different from culture? I am talking training, education, mentorship, and coaching. Diverse candidates need coaching and mentorship a little bit different that we haven't yet adapted our programs to. And I know before I left at PwC, we're working really hard on this because that is critical for our success. And for all of those boards that I sit in, number three is board diversity is critical. So as we're getting pressure from the investment community to be diverse, let's pause. So we've got a culture that's inclusive. We've got the programs to support diversity. So therefore we got to make sure our board is diverse. We have to drive board diversity because guess what? Everything that we've talked about today will not be successful if there aren't people at that boardroom table encouraging the CEO and management for change. Cultural change, training and education change, recruitment, retention, and succession. That would be my three solutions. It's fantastic. You're my number three for my colleague. I loved it, by the way. <laughs> And you're, you're very much correct. This has become a corporate governance issue um, and the tone from the top, that really matters. Okay, we're gonna go to audience questions now. And we have a question from Cheryl who asked, as you assume new positions, how did you handle exposing the need to learn uh, more in required areas without feeling like you were demeaning your position or harming perceptions of your capabilities? That's a great question. Okay, Vanessa, you go first. I think it's all about uh, authenticity, which is a word you've heard a lot today. Um, be yourself, be authentic, um, be humble. Um, I read a quote actually, I, I, I don't know who to attribute it to you, but it was, it went something, and I'm gonna get it wrong, but it went something like this. If you're not learning, if you're learning, you're growing. And if you're not learning, you're dying. Or if you're learning, you're growing. If you're not growing, you're dying. That was the quote. And I thought, that is an excellent quote. I think he may have, may have actually been uh, Ray Kroc who, who said it. But think about it. If you're learning, you're growing. And when you're not growing, you're dying. But who doesn't want to grow? So learning is a key part of life. Whether you're in the corporate world, you're with government, you're with not-for-profit, whatever you choose to do with your career, frankly, even as individuals, right? So um, at any point in, in, in our lives, whether it's taking on a new role or, or anything else, I don't think we should be ashamed of the desire to learn. Um, that frankly sets us up for success in any given role with any given transition. And it keeps us growing. I don't know about the rest of you, but I want to be green. I want to be growing. Uh, and I'm not ready to give up on that quite yet. Okay. Um, Sarah, did you want to add to that? I'll just briefly share that for me, I show up every day to try and be a lifelong learner. And so that, that deep curiosity, I think, is a way to authentically show up. Uh, I pride myself on building the best team around me. And that means that I'm not going to be the expert on everything. And I'm, I'm unafraid of being inquisitive and, and continuing to grow. What I would say is also leaders need to continue to grow and develop, like what you said, Vanessa. And it's really important that as leaders, you're uncomfortable because that means that you're growing and you're pushing yourself. And so the expectation 
of, of sharing with your team that you want to be a li lifelong learner, why you're being inquisitive, what you don't know. I joined Mastermind Toys having never held a position in retail, having never been a CEO. This is my first rodeo. And, and, I, and I led it all through a pandemic, which there was no playbook for it. And being a lifelong learner, being curious, asking others for input. Every day before we closed our stores, I would huddle with everyone in the organization above a certain level. And everyone was asked to leave their expertise at the door because there was no way to manage through this. There was no pandemic. And so it was really about showing humility around what we don't know. And maybe that's just a moment that I grew up with that I will forever take with me. But I think you can have your blinders on if you assume expertise or you try to showcase that. You as a leader, your job isn't to have all the answers. It's to build a team around you that will innovate through the trickiest situations, but also transform in moments when you need to. And so I think you want to build a team and build a culture that learning is expected and encouraged. Excellent. There's no such thing as stupid questions. Okay, I want to get as many audience questions in as possible. Um, so, Lorianne, I have one for you from Gail who asked, did you always plan to be in a leadership role or is it something that just happened? Can you share some advice for women who hadn't planned on taking a leadership role but have found themselves in one? A fantastic question. Thanks for asking it because it gives me a chance to share with, I think, a key word that um, my dad would say to myself and my three sisters, I'm one of four girls, you can be anything you want to be. So I did not set out to be a partner at PricewaterhouseCoopers. I was actually happy to get my CPA. I was one of these people that, you know, qualified and quit. We used to call it Q squared. I know I'm aging myself back in the day. So but people were promoting me because they saw a talent. So I had to go back and say, what are they seeing that I'm not confident yet to see in myself? So what I share with you is never put any boundaries on what you can do because you can do whatever you want to do because that's who you are and you will make sure you get there. When I started getting into certain leadership roles, I was getting there because other people saw something in me. And then later on in my career, I was confident enough to be able to accept them and hopefully grow and make a difference uh, in the role that I had. So take sometimes those, when you find yourself in this leadership role, you never thought you would ever be there. That's because other people see things in you. Celebrate that and then figure out what you want to do and continue that growth trajectory. That's fantastic advice. Don't be afraid to take up space uh, if you're a leader. Okay, um, Sarah, I've got another question from the audience. What is your advice if your leadership doesn't think change is needed and doesn't support diversity efforts beyond the lowest hanging fruit? Great question. Yeah, I mean, I think it's unfortunate if leaders don't see the value in it because the tone from the top, whether it's the C-suite or the board is so incredibly important. If you find yourself in a position where, unfortunately, that tone isn't there to be supportive of it, I think the biggest thing that you can do is articulate and showcase that diversity matters. For me at Mastermind Toys, one of the things that I started recognizing was that small wins and celebrating small wins matter. So I'd like to believe that in your role today, you can showcase why that's important and start celebrating those wins and build from that. Momentum matters. And so don't look at the at what's in front of you as insurmountable or a big mountain. And, and we are on a journey and, and the mountain is still there. There are more CEOs in Canada named Michael than there are females. Uh, but it's really important that I think that from your position, you can pick something small that can gain attention and momentum. 
there, it's unrefutable what diversity brings to the table. The stats are there, the articles are there, the investors are asking for it. And I think it's just a moment of time that if leaders don't embrace it, you'll find yourself working for another leader. So best to do your own change from, the, from wherever you sit um, and, and make it happen and start it now. Yeah, I mean, it seems silly that people would have to be convinced in this day and age, uh, uh, but here we are. Um, okay, um, I have a question for Vanessa. If you could go back in time, what is the best advice you would give to your younger self? Wow, um, I would say own it. Really, really own it. Um, don't make apologies to others or frankly, even to yourself. There is a lot of pressure on women, particularly young women. Um, there's a lot of comparison. We are a society of comparisons. Um, as humans, we compare ourselves to, to others, but as women, uh, we have a really bad habit of comparing ourselves uh, to others. And, and in, in, in doing those comparisons, that brings doubt, that brings fear, that brings indecision, that brings, am I, what's wrong with me, right? So there's nothing wrong with you. Um, you know, I would say get clear on what you want. Um, and it's okay if that takes a long time to get clear uh, on what you want. But once you've decided, really own it. Don't judge yourself harshly. Um, and, um, you know, there, and, and just remember that, uh, you know, uh, I, would, I would say lastly, there are seasons of life, you know, so you can't hit it out of the park in every single quadrant of your life at the exact same time. Uh, there will be ebbs and flows. Uh, there are years when you'll do really well in certain areas and years when you'll do better in other areas. Uh, but try not to judge yourself too harshly and um, and own it. You'll be okay. I love that. Own it. Okay. Um, we only have time for one more question because we have less than two minutes left. Um, so, Lorianne, I'm going to give this one to you. What was the biggest obstacle you faced in your career and how did you turn it into an opportunity? I love this. It's a great question. The biggest obstacle was me. Believe it or not, I did never could imagine a black woman being a partner at PricewaterhouseCoopers. I just never thought it could happen. Imagine we're going way back now. I hate to age myself continuously. So I think I was a bit of an obstacle because as I was being pushed, I wasn't then appreciating the push. So I would say the biggest barrier for me was I didn't have the confidence to do what I do now. So if you're like me and you are your own worst enemy, pause and say, why is that? Go deep because others see things and push yourself forward. The other barrier, sorry, just one other barrier that I did have, which I totally overcame was I didn't see anybody like me. So people talk about all that. Oh, I don't see another woman. I don't see any uh, visible minorities. So all I'm going to say to you is be the first. Obliterate that concrete ceiling and be the first. So that's another barrier. Don't let that be a barrier. Let that drive you for success. And then bring everybody along with you with an open, innovative, creative, and inclusive mindset. Okay, I got a note from uh, the, the organizers who said we have an extra five minutes because it looks like our audience is really engaged. Um, maybe I will put the same question uh, to Sarah and to Vanessa as well. What is the biggest obstacle that you have faced uh, in your career? And then how did you turn it into an opportunity? Sarah, why don't you go first? I have to say, Lori was right on it. I would have said myself, and so I will say that. Um, for me, I think 
the other is recognizing moments when you're not playing to your passions and strengths. One of the, one of the obstacles that I, I faced was walking away from something. We've all been in moments where we, we don't see the next opportunity. We try to be loyal. We try to push forward on that. And the lesson that I learned was you need to be running towards something, not away from something. And having the courage to run towards the next opportunity when the moment that you're in isn't the right conditions for success. And I think that was a, a key barrier that I, I learned to overcome was recognizing those moments when you were no longer playing to your strengths. That being said, I think it's also important that you're not always going to be in your dream job. You're not always going to have the conditions for success, but there's still something that you can learn from that opportunity. And so the other tagline I take from, with myself is grass is greener where you water it. And sometimes, even though we'd love change to be faster, we'd love to see diversity um, accelerate and, and not look like what it is today and be further along on the journey, you have a role to play in the conditions where you are today, which is water that grass and make it green because you can make a difference. And Vanessa, we want you to weigh in on this too. I mean, what's an obstacle that you overcame, how you turn it into an opportunity? And just so I can get a little flavor of uh, another audience question in here, you know, which is about finding your voice. Um, you know, what, what are you, what's your advice on that? So I was, I, and by the way, the, the, um, uh, responses, uh, from, uh, Laurie and Sarah spot on, right. We really are often our biggest obstacles. We really truly are. And I, I that was an amazing answer, Laurie. And I think oftentimes when we dig deep, we actually find that the root cause is ourselves, right? Because we, we perceive all of these issues. And so we, we shrink back. Um, the best piece of advice I ever got was actually from my mother, who said, you can focus on the challenges and the obstacles, or you can focus on the opportunities. Um, and it sounds very simple, but it was such an eye-opener. Um, and so getting up every morning and not walking into work thinking, I am a minority woman. Oh my God, how hard is it going to be for me today? I mean, you just can't do that, because if you do that, you're going to cripple yourself, right? Focus on what you can do, what you can change, and get the job done to the best that you possibly can. And by so doing, you'll continue to make a difference. And as Laurie said, you can bring others along with you. That is the task at hand. Um, and um, I don't know if I have much more to add to that, because I think my colleagues uh, said it uh, you know, so very well. But that indeed, my, uh, uh, my uh, friends and colleagues, is the task that we all have to continuously work towards. I love how you said, bring along others with you, pull them up behind you. Uh, that's great. And every workplace, you can find your people. I think that's a key lesson that we've uh, taken away from today. Okay, I'm going to uh, thank Vanessa, Sarah, and Lorianne for their wonderful and inspiring comments today. I am feeling so energized. Um, it was such a pleasure to talk to all of you, and I am going to hand it back to Kelly now. Thank you. Thanks, Rita. And thanks uh, so much to our panelists. Uh, yeah, energizing, inspiring, impactful. You know, I could spend <laughs> uh, at least a few minutes just pulling out adjectives of how I'm feeling after having had the opportunity to, to hear that discussion. Uh, I know this came up in the conversation around representation on boards. And um, although the Empire Club of Canada is a nonprofit organization and not a corporate board, I do think it's really important that, you know, we ourselves look at our own uh, work that we have been doing to build an inclusive and diverse board. And I'm pleased to share that, you know, at this point in terms of the Empire Club of Canada, 
Uh, we are at 40% of our board directors are women, and we continue to do a lot of work to build more diversity across many facets on the board. Um, and I think also for me, you know, as we've approached International Women's Day this year, this season, as the president of the Empire Club of Canada, I was also reflecting on the fact that I'm just the 13th woman to be president of the Empire Club of Canada in 118 years. So as the club has continued to evolve with Canadian society, I think it's clear that we continue to have work to do in this area, to continue to create space for women to come forward, to take leadership opportunities, both in the volunteer world and in their professional careers as well. So I thought it was important to share that because it's always good to be transparent about where your own organization is at and the work that we still have to do and recognize that we need to do to move forward. I would like to now take the opportunity to welcome Sonal Doshi, Managing Director and Head, Canadian Financial Sponsors, Investment Banking at TD Securities to deliver some appreciation remarks. Sonal, big welcome and over to you. Well, thank you. Uh, where do I start? What a dynamic and engaging conversation. I hope you all feel inspired because I certainly do. Um, it's been a pleasure to be here. And on behalf of TD Securities, I'd like to sincerely thank our moderator, Rita Tritcher, um, our speakers, Lori Beausoleil, Sarah Jordan, Vanessa Canoe, for sharing your insights with us today. You know, it's not only inspiring to hear your personal leadership journeys, but, um, but I would add that TD Securities is strongly aligned with some of your key messages. You know, the need for companies to continue to push on improving diversity of talent and the importance of allyship. And I'm gonna note Lori's words here, um, standing up woman for success, which is what she started with. And that was why TD was so very excited to, uh, to support this event. You know, we have um, committed to those areas, you know, through various programs and still a lot of work to do, but including a, a TD Talent Lab, which focuses on the pipeline, which we spoke about and provides capital markets education and internship programs for high school students, female high school students of diverse backgrounds. Um, and as well, we have a Women in Leadership Allies program that uh, engages and educates colleagues, um, both uh, women and in particular senior men on the inclusive role that they can play and, and they should play in, um, in advancing women. So thank you all again for your perspectives. Um, again, I would just like to say what an energizing conversation. And I'll, with that, I'll turn it back to you, Kelly. Thank you. And thanks again to TD Securities and all of our sponsors for their support. Thank you to our guests and everybody who joined us today or to those who will be watching later on demand. Our next virtual event is on March 25th at 12 noon Eastern time. Please join us as we welcome Jim Balsilli, co-founder and chair of the Council of Canadian Innovators and John Ruffalo, founder and managing partner of Mavericks Private Equity to discuss why Canada needs a revived economic council to thrive in the 21st century. More details and complimentary registration are available at empireclubofcanada.com. This meeting is now adjourned. I wish you a great afternoon. Take care and stay safe.